This is Jonathan with the Strategic Multifamily Investing Podcast, and today I have with me my guest, Mr. Dustin Sutton. How are you doing? Hi, Jonathan. Very nice. Uh, thank you very much for having me. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. We were just having some conversation pre-conversation. I just said, well, let's just go ahead and rip. And uh, we've been talking about his journey a little bit and his background, and he was like, I want to learn a little bit more about you. I just said, well, let's just go ahead and hit Gordon and jump into it. Um, first, I'll talk about, I guess, why, why I brought on Dustin. I brought on Dustin because uh, he's a part of the, a new group that I just uh, tapped into. Um, it is the Black Commercial Real Estate Network. Didn't know it existed. Um, someone else that I had reached out to on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a good, if you're looking for tips, that's a good one. Good place to reach out to. And he connected me with the group. And Dustin, you're like one of the co-creators and everything of this group, correct? That, that is correct. I was really frustrated. It had been wearing on me that there's not a lot of black representation in the commercial real estate industry in general, not just with acquisitions or asset management. Um, but I, and I hadn't seen a lot of, a lot of black members of this community. So one of the things I did is I, I wanted to at least reach out and find other people that I can I could talk to and and at least make those connections because maybe there are black people in the industry that just don't have outward facing jobs and maybe commercial real estate adjacent so accounting finance back office that, that I just wasn't aware of so I, I started the network to to reach out and I was thinking I'd find five or ten people in San Diego area and after the first week we had around ten people second week there was about you know 15 to 20 people i was connected by uh Dareth, i was connected with Dareth jarvis in uh in texas and he said hey i was thinking about doing something similar do you mind if we just join forces and i said absolutely i don't want this to be limited to san diego and he had a group of 30 to 40 guys that he was already connecting with wow and just joined forces and so it went from that second week of having you know 15 to 20 people to having 60 people and at now almost two months in, we have almost 130 members of the network. I'm pretty sure we'll double that before the end of the year. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I keep seeing that there are other people that have jumped on and uh, there've been some really powerful calls that are out there. And one of the things that I thought about doing is like a, a second uh, podcast during the month. Um, you know, most of my podcasts have been focused to on seasoned operators you know, who are out there and, you know, the, the connection, you know, through Tony, um, as I was looking for a seasoned operator, you know, to interview and, and talk to. Um, but then I started recognizing, hey, there's, there's a bunch of other African-Americans that are out there, um, you know, and, you know, that are not just necessarily multifamily focused, but again, you know, may not have outward facing jobs, as you mentioned, that are in yeah. the space. I think that the numbers totally um, for African-Americans uh, that are in, the commercial real estate industry, there's probably like a couple percent nationally. You know, it's like I think the last thing I saw was like three percent or so, uh, if not. That's if that not. sounds that sounds about right. So you know, I you know, this is a good good idea to kind of showcase. Hey, there are African Americans that are in this space, and sometimes I think it becomes kind of overwhelming when you're the only one that's in the room and not knowing that there are other people that are you know potentially a part of your tribe. I mean, while you know. The brokerage that I am a part of, you know, right now, uh, I think I'm the only African-American in the brokerage. It's not a problem. It's not an issue like, you know, oh, I want to have, you know, uh, a whole bunch of other people um, that look like me around. But it'd be great to have some that are in this space that we can identify with, that we can, you know, network with. Because sometimes the challenges that we have are a little bit different than some of our other counterparts that are in this, sure. uh, this industry. Um, have you had any of those, uh, situations that you want to share that, um, you know, that were kind of different? I, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I feel really fortunate to have the, I've had, a, I've had a lot of great people in my life and yeah. just my family, friends, coworkers. Uh, one of the things in my day-to-day -day job, I didn't see a lot of black faces. Yeah, uh, and that and that wears on you. By no means do I think I had I have it rough or or things were intolerable. But 
it, it's it's hard when you are the only one of whatever that be, whether it's 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 gender, race, anything. When you're the only one in the room, it it's hard. It's difficult, especially when your journey is different. Yeah. And you don't have somebody that necessarily has the same experiences as you or similar experiences as you, and you don't have a sounding board or someone to help you navigate your way through your career and or life in general. So that that for that for me was something that I felt was missing. And and maybe that's I didn't know the exact answer of how to fix that, but I just wanted to to take an attempt to at least make some connections. I figured at least making more connections and if I, if I felt this way, then other people for sure felt this way. And we could be a sounding board or support for one another. And and that's that's how the BCREN was was formed. Gotcha. Um, well, that's great. So let's talk about like your professional journey, how you got into commercial real estate. You started residential. What specifically do you do right now? Uh, how did you get involved within the commercial real estate space? Sure. Well, thanks for thanks for asking. Uh, my my professional career started. Well, first of all, I, I moved out to. San Diego from Philadelphia. After I graduated from the University of Delaware, I, I was originally going to go to law school. I decided against it. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, and I didn't want to go deeper in, in debt for something I didn't necessarily know I wanted to, to do. So one of the places I visited after college was San Diego. And although I did not know what I wanted to do, I said, I'll, I'm going to figure it out by the beach. So I made the trip out to San Diego, and I um, and I said I'd figure it out. My first job, really, my first job in San Diego was actually sweeping floors and and loading trucks at an industrial space. And it was very very humble beginnings out here, and it was very difficult to to find my way. Uh, I then got into outside sales. I worked for a couple companies and. It wasn't necessarily something that I loved, but I had a, some really good experiences of, of learning how to how to talk to different people. And and if anything, what I learned the most is to control the controllables, because when you're dealing with that much rejection with outside sales, uh, a, a coworker of mine told me, and, I, and it sticks with me. I think about it all the time. Is that attitude and activity? That's all you can control. Is your attitude, attitude. and activity. Yeah, your your attitude and your activity, and as long as you don't let somebody else dictate or negatively influence your attitude or your activity, then everything will fall in place. That's good. Yeah, well, you know when I when I first heard it, I I was like, oh, I try to be devil's advocate, and I thought of things that fell outside of that realm, but it's true. It's true. Just stay positive and keep working. So where are you from? You mentioned that you went out to San Diego, but where was your base from? Uh, Philadelphia. I, I was I was I was born and raised Philadelphia, and I uh, lived there for 18 years. And then I went to went off to college, and then um yeah, then moved out to San Diego. So you mentioned uh, attitude and activity. Yes. How do you currently uh, manage those things? You know, what, what what is it that you do to to maintain your attitude or to change states if you need to? And then what type of activity do you do to help keep you in a good space? Yeah, well, wow, that that that's a that's a great question. And I think this goes goes beyond uh what we what we sure. talk about with the, just a career. Like this this is this sure. is a lifestyle, this is uh mental health, this is uh a very, very human concept yes. that I think everybody should should find ways to to embrace. And, and it's and for me it that has been its own separate journey. Okay. Uh, finding that and you know, I have a I have a really close friend who has suffered from severe depression. Okay. And being I guess I, I, it's hard to even say alongside of that journey, but being aware and seeing the things that that he had that was going through and the things that he was implementing in implementing in his life uh i found 
are very helpful for for all of us because we talk about severe depression, but there's a there's a spectrum of, of anxiety, and right. and my thing is, or some of the things that I've started to do, uh, you know, meditation is key. Uh, what type of focusing, meditation do you do? Uh, what I do mostly is mindful mindfulness meditation, okay. and uh, I do it in the, in the morning. Uh, I make it a habit. So, so the meditation, uh, journaling, uh, I feel like that helps a lot. Uh, being active, drinking water, eating less wheat, less sugar. And, you know, I, I think those things and creating good habits are what I, what I would consider good habits and re- replacing bad habits with those good habits uh, has meant everything to me and my, my mental health. What are some of those uh, those good habits that you've uh, you've implemented? Well, I the meditation, <laughs> the, well, the yeah, being yeah. Mi- definitely the, meditation. The, yeah, the yeah, being mindful uh, of my diet and um, and keeping keeping track of it. Okay. Um, you know, and 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 further than that is being aware of doing doing things and keeping in mind others and and being being selfless in in a way that you're not expecting anything back whether that be uh being active in the community volunteering for uh, a league or mentorship program all those things uh are so important i think we need more of them and if everybody could just you know take a little bit of their their free time or their free energy and 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 start thinking about how to to help the community and help other people yeah, I, I think I think that helps everybody involved, all parties. Yeah, I just um, you know prior to this call, I was just on another call with someone else, and uh, we were talking, and you know, it was a full morning, so uh, he gets up at three o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing at three o'clock in the morning? And he <laughs> mentions he does you know prayer because he's a he's a person of faith, but uh, he says I take time to just listen, and I said, what do you mean listen? No. Help me understand, unpack that for me. And basically it was his form of meditation uh, to be able to figure out what's going on with him. And he went on um, to tell a story, a situation where, you know, something made him mad the the day before and he wanted to sit with himself to figure out exactly what that is. Um, I think there is a a scripture in the Bible that says something like, you know, wars come from, they come from within you. So if mm. that's an issue, then that's something that, you know, you need to grapple with. And so uh, I do more of a walking meditation myself. So there's a little okay. thing here that I do. And, you know, I, you know, sometimes I'll throw on, you know, either some music. Generally, I'm listening to some sort of podcast or something and, mm. uh, you know, that I want to listen to that maybe, you know, really, really deep in some sort of way and, you know, something that I want to work on and I'm walking and listening to it and thinking about, you know, how to maybe implement some things and, you know, checking in on myself. So that's one of my activities. Um, and, and of course, I do pray. Uh, that's another one of my activities. The, the staying away from the sugar and the wheat, oh, man, that's a difficult one. Uh, sure, I think, sure is. I, I have three vices, um, two of them that I'll share. Uh, I said, <laughs> food, and, <laughs> food and caffeine. Are, uh, are are definitely two of mine, and uh, you know the food definitely shows. So you know, grabbing a hold of that, especially during the pandemic, you know, time is is really important. You know, this sure. is the time you can actually work on that because we're locked in, right? And uh, I just you know during the time of this recording, I just heard um, you know that Michelle Obama just recognized that she has, uh, as she mentioned, a low grade depression of sorts. You know, it's not necessarily you know clinically diagnosed and you know, maybe, you know, where you're, dis- you're prescribing medication. Again, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist or, or, or um, psychotherapist. But uh, she mentioned, as I understand, that, you know, with what's been going on right now in the news um, around some of the, the George, George Floyd protests and, and the police uh, brutality, et cetera, those things have been weighing on her, in addition to being inside from the pandemic. And so, mental health, you know, some, especially within the African-American community, I'd say it's not something that we really talk about at all. You know, it gets something mm-hmm. shunned. And uh, my tradition is from, you know, a church tradition, specifically Pentecostal, the real good mm-hmm. Pentecostal, <laughs> the, 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 the tent revival Pentecostal, you know, um, and you don't, you don't, you don't, talk, you know, you go to church and let somebody lay hands on you and cast the devil out of you and you keep moving sure. on. So, 
So uh, that's uh, thank you for sharing that. You know that's uh, and let's. I want to stick a pin in a second for, uh, for for the religious item uh, because that's so important. And I, I would love to share something with you on that. But as far as Michelle Obama and the low grade, I'm that that does not surprise me. I did not see that yet or read that article. But it does not surprise me. And moreover, I believe we we all we all do. We we all suffer from some some type of or some on some scale of anxiety or depression or whatever word that we can put on and i'm i'm also not a uh a psychiatrist or a psychologist but if if you don't feel this or or maybe if you if you can't feel this then maybe there's something there's something else that's going on because with with everything that we're exposed to the information that that we have to digest on a day-to-day basis it's hard it's really hard and again, that's why I go back to trying to implement positive habits and, and, and good habits. And, and so to go back on to religious background, I, I, I had a somewhat, I think, unique upbringing and being around different uh, faiths and, and thoughts regarding uh, religion. I went to a Quaker school from kindergarten oh, wow. to fourth grade. Yeah, there. Okay, this is this is really good. This is really good. Yeah. Okay, really, good. <laughs> this is really good. Yeah, go for well, it. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you know, not being necessarily raised Quaker, but going to a Quaker school from kindergarten to, to fourth grade, we had there's something called Meeting House, mm-hmm. and essentially what you do is, is and, and I'm sure somebody who is, is deep in the the Quaker faith could tell you more about it and elaborate. But from what I recall, is a Meeting House on Wednesday, or we you sit in a a room on benches or pews and you basically sit in silence with your yes. thoughts yes and then if you have something you want to share you stand up and share it and uh you know the things that i remember people standing up and sharing were somebody would stand up and say i went fishing with my father this weekend and it was really nice to spend that time with him. and again we were we, we were you know children here and but they would share things like that that meant something to them and sit down. And, and I, I didn't get it at that point. But now looking back on it as older, I was like, that is so special. Yeah. And that is so important to have that, that space to do something like that and be able to share openly. Uh, so, okay. So, so after that, then I went to public school from fifth to eighth grade, mm-hmm. uh, a school called Masterman in, in Philadelphia, which was also, it was a great experience. Um, it was a, a school magnet school. So it brought people from all over the city. And then I ended up going to a Catholic school, for high school. So I went to Quaker, then to public school, then to Catholic school. And I wasn't raised Catholic, although my, my grandmother and grandfather, they, they were church going. Um, so I, I did have exposure to church, but not necessarily the Catholic church. Uh, so that was, that was an interesting process of going to religion class and seeing people that already heard all, all the stories that I hadn't, I wasn't aware of all of them. Uh, so, that, so that was definitely an interesting experience. But now looking back on it, on all these experiences and all these times there's so much truth in in all the faiths that that i've that i've uh, been aware of and and reading you know indian and hindu texts and the bhagavad gita and and just meeting friends that that are of islamic faith there's so much truth inside of these words so so i'm I love the fact that people can find solace in the yeah. words of these of these books and these religions. And I think, and you know, the first thing somebody's going to say is, "What in the world does this have to do with commercial real estate?" You're not talking about cap rates. You're not talking about you know management or asset management. We've got some of that. I mean, and uh, Dustin and his team definitely they do asset management and property management. And we can get into that. But um, honestly, what motivates you to continue to go back to environments, you know, as you mentioned, where there's a lot of information that's being thrown at you, um, where you're having to, you know, and I believe you develop a love for the the skill set that you bring to the commercial real estate, you know, field. But there is, you know, what motivates you to continue to be your best and to deal with sometimes the other communication uh, or environmental toxins that happen, the, um, the low grade, you know, uh, microaggressions, et cetera, is sometimes your faith, is sometimes those actions and activities, right? Um, or attitude and activity that you you bring mm-hmm. to the thing that helps you to manage 
um, so that you become more of a thermostat rather than a thermometer. Sure. Well, yeah. Well, absolutely. You know what? Uh, okay. So, so to to point to address this, let's go back to uh, what I was saying about my my career path and and where it led me. So, after outside sales, I had an opportunity to be a leasing agent at a residential real estate firm in San Diego, a small boutique firm on the coast. And uh, as a leasing agent, I felt that my sales training and my personality. Uh, and what I wanted to be out and about. I, I didn't move to San Diego to sit in the office <laughs> 10 or 12 hours a day. So being out and about, meeting different people and, and using my sales experience in the leasing field, it, it was a perfect match. And after a year of that, so it's residential, single family, multifamily, and some mixed use where there's retail on the, on the first floor and, and residential upstairs. And uh, so then I got an opportunity to, uh, to take on my own portfolio and be the, the leasing agent and also the the manager. And during that time, I got the exposure to the mixed use and I started to see the difference between the commercial space and the residential. And, and I said, you know, this is a challenge that, I, that I'd like to take on. So from there, I got my, I got an opportunity uh, as a full-time commercial real estate manager. So just staying in the, the property management lane, and I, and I got a job at a, at a REIT, a national REIT traded at S&P 500. And uh, it, was a great, it was a great experience, uh, learned a lot. And, um, and you know, from there, I, I started the, the company that I now am at, which is Meisner GK Commercial Real Estate Services. We do not only property management, we do, uh, you know, full service property management services, uh, excuse me, uh, real estate, commercial real estate services. So property so accounting. Are you primarily just in the Southern California area or are you in any other states right now? Do you guys own any units yourself? How, so how many? Yeah, we, we have a third party management and we are, we do our property management all in Southern California, but because of our, our systems and what we've been able to, to put together for, um, our Yardi systems. And we, we've invested over the past two decades, over a million dollars in our, in our accounting systems and, and in Yardi itself. And um, so we can, we can do that anywhere and, and we're great at it. So we've been in business for 28 years. We are, uh, it's all third party management. We don't own uh, any of the assets, so it's all third party. And we're the uh, number one, we're the largest privately owned third party management company in San Diego. And we manage over 16 million square feet of retail, office, industrial, and owner associations. Um, also, so you do multifamily. Is that a part of the owner uh, associations, or you know the the commercial associations where we manage, but we partner with with uh, multifamily and residential teams because we become their back office. Uh, again, Yardi can be expensive, it can be complex, but we we've been we've been doing it for a quarter of a century, and we do it well. So. If someone wants to do the day-to-day -day management and we handle all the accounting, the receivables, the payables, the financial reporting, the budgeting, the forecasting, uh, we, we do it all. Got it. So then, you know, I could see you partnering very well with, say, a third-party um, uh, property management firm, right, where you all do the asset management while you do the property management. Um, you know, it's, as we're walking through this, you know, Red Boot LLC, you know, we're talking about acquisitions and, you know, I think also you guys are pretty good at doing your diligence as well. You know, there may be a need for, you know, someone to say, I want to do due diligence. Uh, no, first of all, make, before I make an assumption, do you all do due diligence? You know, it, do you have systems for that as a, as a part of you know, you may be taking on something if you're going to do third party management in Southern California, or if you're going to do asset management of some sort later on, do you all do due diligence? Absolutely. And it's one of our strong suits. Okay. One of the things that anybody who's in asset management, I mean, or we can, we can even, you know, pull back and look larger than that. It's, it's all about, uh, it's all about having good data and being able to review and having a solid foundation to make good decisions. In the end, it's about decision-making. So if someone's going to be acquiring a property, it's very important that you just, you don't just rely on the seller's, 
you know, the, the pro forma or whatever information that's coming from the seller. Uh, so, so being able to to digest the information that's being supplied, whether they be the the lease documents and abstracting those documents and finding out if the the income is correct, the estimated expenses are accurate. And having that information going in there, we, we've had several different instances where we were able to have the buyer go back or give them the information that was necessary to make good decisions on the purchase and either identifying, okay. yeah, identifying areas that they could, that there's um, uh, a discount on the purchase price, or they could look at the information and say, hey, this is actually you know, undervalued. So we, let's, let's jump at this. Let's make, let's make this forward. So, yeah. so question, since you, you've done this for a quarter of a century, right? 25 years more. What is your, what is your, your thought about retrading? I, I hear a lot of people, you know, industry saying, you know, retrading is a bad thing. I hear some people saying retrading is a good thing. You know, some people use it as a strategy to even lock up properties first and then, once they do the due diligence or something, decide to retrade. So I only retrade if there's something that's severe. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I just want to clarify that I have not necessarily been in the industry for a quarter of a century. Oh, Meisner GK, okay. the company, has been in business for <laughs> over a quarter of a century. Um, yeah, so so that's a good question. But you know what? From my perspective, I'm I'm a I'm a hold guy. I, I think uh, as far as if the questions you're asking, I, I believe in if you have real estate, don't don't let it go. And if it's something that's going to have value and you have the land and you know it is, then don't let it go. Um, but again, my day to day and what I do in, in the property management field, I and also with the uh, um, oversight of some of the accounting processes, is we let we we try to advise our clients what's best based on the data that that we have and that we're able to extrapolate from from whatever's present, whatever governing documents there are. And, you know, it just depends on the, on the situation and the circumstance. Okay. So there, there, there is room, if you will, for an operator potentially to retrade, given to have good data. And good data starts with all the things you mentioned, you know, doing, you know, a proper due diligence where you're very thorough, you're looking at the leases, uh, where you're looking at all the other documents that, uh, that are come to you. To be able to make sound decisions and sound judgments on that, um, absolutely. And and I think I think that's so important because the the information that you have that's that's the foundation. Mm -hmm. That having having accurate data and being able to make, especially if you have a a team that that is 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 good and experienced at being able to review data and and some experience and other and other um, resources to utilize then you know so let's just say this say that um you know i wanted to maybe approach a company to do asset management i already have a property manager that is doing yardy and has all that information and they've given us a login or something that we can go into you know how do you all engage someone you know who's an operator you know in that sort of capacity i mean are you giving them weekly daily monthly quarterly statements how, how do you all you know engage in that in that situation yeah that, that's a that's a good question and being the size that we are of a company i we we are uniquely situated to be the goldilocks uh we, we can be very very flexible we can give the asset manager or you know, real estate owner, asset manager, operator, developer, whoever the client is, right. access with the login. So we can provide uh, custom reports, whatever they want. So they can go in there, click of a button, and they get whatever reports that, that we have set up in the system. And uh, so a lot of people that, are, that consider purchasing or implementing the Yardi platform, or if they, they've already purchased it, uh, some people struggle to to be able to figure out how all the the modules work in the system. So us as experts, we become that back office. We we take care of it. We train the staff uh, on the operations of real estate, and also we handle the grunt work of the the database administration. So not only not only do we abstract the leases, we set up the the chart of accounts. 
code the invoices, uh, enter the rent receipts, reconcile accounts, produce financial statements, cam reconciliations, reconciliations, and um, and also assist with the budgeting and forecasting process. So we let the asset asset manager or whoever or or we can become the asset manager. However, we're, we're flexible with that. So it just it just depends on the situation. But us being you know we're we're not such a small company where we just get blown around in the wind or if something happens. Uh, but we're also not such a, a large organization, like a, I think of it like a ship, right? A little ship gets tossed around in a storm. A large tanker takes a million years and a lot of red tape to, to just make a turn. We're right in the middle where, where we have all the systems in place. We, we have very, um, uh, a great leadership, that that makes informed decisions uh, but we can we can be flexible and we can we can pivot when needed so do you guys have accountants on staff already or you know we bring our own accountant etc when it comes tax time to you know do k-1s and distributions and stuff like that how do you all function in that space yeah good question and and again that's something that that is flexible as well we have accountants on, on staff very experienced accountants the the average tenure of our accountants is over 15 years in, uh, in in real estate accounting. So proficient with Yardi systems, proficient in accounting. And what, one thing that we want to do, we don't want to take away accountants or jobs from companies or, or, they, or the, the real estate owner. Or, no, we want the, the property owner, operator to do their work, their magic. We'll do the bag office work and the, the accountants can focus on other things that they're doing. We'll, we'll take care of all the back office stuff, but the, the CFO and all the accountants, they can do. Now, we have accounts on staff. If, if they want us to take on all the accounting, we can do that as well. But our, our, our priority is, is helping our companies and our clients achieve their goals. Got it. I mean, because the reason why I ask that is, you know, for someone maybe who's getting started or, you know, I've, I've talked to another operator just recently and uh, he's a seasoned operator. He's looking to, um, he's focusing now on, you know, legacy kinds of things uh, where he wants, you know, to hold his property for a, a lot longer. But one of the questions that he had, or, or one of the things that some of his investors have had uh, as, as growth points for him is, okay, the way that you set this property up for us to invest is, this way and then it's a different way for another property and it's a different way for a third property so you know now what he's looking for is a system so that when he is you know structuring deals, structuring deals you know he has a way that he wants to be able to you know pay and compensate you know the investors you know whether they be gp or lp in the deal so he's going to put them all on one system same thing as i would assume coming back in you know they're really good at exactly as you said you know being the operator going in and transforming and doing the construction and you know really turning around you know this value situation. but you know on the front end how he presents needs to be unified and i would assume for those that have a bunch of other assets coming out you don't want to have multiple systems where you manage one property that may say 30 40 50 units as kind of like a mom and pop, but then you have this other 200 unit engine over here and you're managing, you know, as you would, you know, an insurance fund say, uh, you want to probably have some sort of consistency. And it sounds like that's what your organization does, where you're bringing on a certain level of consistency amongst all properties that may be uh, invested in by a particular operator. Absolutely. I think, I think that's a, that's a, that's a great point. And that is something that our clients, love that what we do is and not only just our clients our clients cpas <laughs> uh, because the financial reports that we have are, are crisp they're clear they're consistent and if somebody has a portfolio of you know several different property types and they all roll up into a consistent report and that's another thing that we handle as far as the custom reports is that they can be property specific and then they all roll up together to that one unifying report. Got it. So then in terms of cost, which I know, you know, we're recording this and, you know, uh, they changed you know, without subject thing. I don't know if I necessarily want to ask a specific dollar amount, but more or less how are, you know, generally, how do you all charge? Are you charging by property or are you charging 
flat rates or you know is there a sliding scale of sorts generally how are you you charging say your your customers yeah that, that's another great question uh i i could not give you a specific dollar amount or we don't base it off a percentage uh we like i said before we we are we are very um experienced in 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 and what we do, and one of the things that, that we've implemented over time is a, a time tracking system. So we look at a portfolio, we, we, we have a conversation with our client, we see what they want, what they need. We go back into our system and we can pull data from comps to those properties or that portfolio. And we know roughly how long it's gonna take each person to spend on that account. So we go back and, and look at our historical data, compare it, and then we break it down by time and how much it's gonna, how much time it's gonna take each person. And each person in our in our company tracks their time uh, on the on the property level. So so the accountants, the assistants, the senior managers, everybody tracks their time. So we can pull back and look, and then we can also right size the account later if we're not even if we're not spending as much time on there or spending more time we can go back to the client and say this is how much we estimated this is how much we we are spending and then we we go back to the to the bargaining table but in yeah. the end what this is what what this is about and what we do as a company is about helping our clients be successful got it so if if the price point for a full service uh, of asset management and the oversight or the private management, if that doesn't fit their model, we'll, we'll find other ways to help. Or we'll say, hey, maybe this isn't the best fit for you. Maybe we can do X, Y, and Z, or even introduce them to, to somebody else that might be a better fit for them. Because in the end, in the end, this goes back to what we were saying when we started our conversation on, on you know, it's bigger than just real estate. This is, this is a way of life. This is uh, this is being a positive member of the community, whatever community that is, and helping people. And that's what we want to be a resource for for other people in in the commercial real estate and in the community in general. And you know, for me, it's starting to click more. Some of the conversations that I've had in the past that kind of were like, eh, it's kind of you know, woo woo, seemingly in that you know, literally, as you're in commercial real commercial real estate. Um, better or more than any say environment that I've been in it really truly is a, a relationship you know uh, management type business and you want to make sure that you're in relationship with people who can grow with you again yes. you may not need that full service asset management company now but it's good to know that it's there right when you need it and absolutely really out there for legacy again that, that other conversation i can't wait till that that actually uh hits but if you're out there really for legacy and it's not the it that that conversation hit me in a different way than i've heard that before like you hear the same thing over and over and over again and you hear how some people talk about it and it becomes more or less like oh let's get rich quick kind of thing versus no this is something that i really just kind of want to be into and chill out with the people that I'm, I'm in it with. And I want to cash them out in five or eight years, but I want to keep them in the deal forever. And the way to do that is to make sure that you have relationships with asset managers and property managers who are in it for the long haul can grow with you and go back and right size so that if you are in that situation where you want to pass along your business of commercial real estate, in, in our context, it's, it's commercial multifamily investing, right? Investing in apartment buildings. And you have a portfolio of apartment buildings. You have a partner here, right? That can say, okay, it's time to start transitioning these things. Well, we were with Jonathan for the last, you know, 25 years. Now let's, you know, educate you know, his posterity as to now how this is going to work and, you know, the things that they're going to need to do in order to keep up with the property, et cetera, and know those systems because those systems have been tried and true for 25 years. They can only grow from here. And uh, that's awesome. Now we've been talking for a while. Yeah, and, you know, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, well, no, I, I think that's great. Uh, that's, a, that's a great point that you mentioned. And that's what we want to do. We want to help people grow and we have a proven track record of doing so. And this, uh, a fundamental principle is being, in a, having a, having a win. So it has to be a win-win. 
Yeah. And and that's why we we figure out exactly what it will take and yep. what the what the time commitment, what the cost will be from our side to properly uh, uh, make a positive impact on our clients' portfolio. So if we're if we're spending you know ten times more time than than what we're getting paid for, that's not a win win. Nope. You know. Yeah. And and also. Yeah. Exactly. So and so the whole the whole point is like, look, we want to help you be successful. This is what we think it takes. If someone says no, we're not we're not willing to to pay that. Of course, we we want to work with them as much as possible and figure something out. But there's a reason that that it costs because we're we're excellent at what we do. Uh, so sometimes people pass on us and they they go somewhere else and then. They, they get what back. they pay for, and then <laughs> they come back, and and that happens, and we're we're happy to help them. Yeah. Um, right. So anyway, I, I just think that that's a really important point to touch on. And also for you know anyone who's doing their underwriting, you know some people are doing three to one percent um, of asset management. Well, here is where that one to three percent potentially could, you know, could be. Um, mm-hmm. Or you have a uh, a staff that's on site, and you've put all that money in your payroll, but you still have maybe two, three percent uh, in uh, in property management. But here is where maybe a percent two might be able to go to help you with making sure that you're managing this staff on site well, you know, by tracking all the expenses and doing all the back end stuff that you may not have time for. And and again, you know, you may not want to have time for, you know, the, the purpose mm-hmm. of this business, I would think for a lot of people is specifically to get back time, right? Is mm. time is a, you know, is one of those things you, you can't get back once you've spent it. It's more important than money after a period of time. You know, I don't know, I'm saying that now in the context for some other people, you know, we're in a, in a pandemic and people have lost their, their jobs. And you know, there are situations where people are like, I need money right now. And I certainly understand that. But once kind of the, the bases have been covered and you're now focused on, okay, what am I going to do with the rest of my time? You want to make sure that you're not doing it on, you know, basically looking at <laughs> bills and things of that sort, if that's not something that you, you know, really find fascinating and want to spend your time on. So. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's a, and that's a, that's a difference between, uh, you know, just an overall concept of spending versus, versus investing. Yeah, you know, good. you, you want to make sure you're, you want to make sure you're investing your time. You're not just spending it. There you go. There you go. Um, there's so many other things that I want to say here, but there's two things that I want to, one thing I want to mention, and I want to pivot and ask a question. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of future, future. right now we're in COVID-19, you know, what do you see moving forward? What's going on with the industry? What are some of your, 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 I guess your, you know, you put your money down on this is possibly going to happen. But I want to go back to something we said earlier with respect to the, the Quaker community. Um, I visited uh, a couple of Quaker meetings um, when I was in Washington, D.C., and I think it was somewhere else I went and visited. But they are, if you've never been and you're struggling with this whole thing called meditation or trying to sit in quiet and everybody's running in, go to a Quaker meeting. If you can socially distance yourself, you can be away or whatever and just sit in silence for like an entire hour. And you're like, after the first 15 minutes, you feel like you're about to die. <laughs> Especially <laughs> if you come from my tradition, um, we're talking about, uh, <laughs> you know, saying amen after, you know, a couple of seconds, you know, you're like, okay, you know, where's the, where's the rest of the, everything else is going to happen, you know? Um, but that was probably one of the best things. And uh, I, every now and then I go back and, and I just take on a meeting and uh, just sit in silence for a little while. So that's cool. But wow. let's go now to the, um, the COVID-19. What are you seeing? Uh, and then how do you think things are going to be changing within the industry moving forward? I know you're not necessarily focused on multifamily, but retail, mixed use. What, what are you seeing? Yeah, well, um Gosh, there, there is something that I want to make sure that I express here is that there are so many people suffering. Yeah. There, there are a lot of people that are scared, that are out of work, yeah. that don't know where the next meal is going to come from. 
Yeah. Uh, don't know if they're going to be able to stay in their, in their homes. And to those people and, and everybody who's suffering right now, uh, we need to be, uh, we need to support each other. We need to help each other. We need to, we need to uh, be as positive as possible and, and, good. and, and affect positive change in each other's lives. That's good. Uh, so that, that first and foremost, I want to, I want to say that and, and, um, be, be very mindful of your, your mental health, um, you know, mind, body, spirit, you know, get, get your, get everything in line and, and just help each other. Pause one second. I mean, there's one thing here, you mentioned mental health again, and specifically for African-Americans. Um, I, I was in, in, in BC again and uh, ran across uh, the, the creator of Henry Health. Go to henryhealth.com. It is a mobile app that's been created by African-Americans for African-Americans, specifically tailored to African-American males um, to address those concerns and, uh, and challenges that we may have with uh, the low repression and a bunches of other things that are out there. And I think that they are doing an excellent job in, in helping to raise, uh, raise the, uh, the flag there. And so there's help out there if you want somebody to talk to, which is not something that we do off the break, you know, so I get it. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry about that. I, yeah, I really that. absolutely. I mean, I we can't say it enough. So let's make sure that everyone knows how how important that is. Um, so one of the things that I noticed, and there, there's we could talk about this all day long, but there, there's so many. So in San Diego specifically, um, biotech industry is, is extremely hot right now. Uh, industrial, and and I I manage and I'm I uh, involved with retail, industrial, uh, office. And so while, while retail and office ha, has been, you know, a, a work in progress and there have been challenges, but I'm really proud of our team and Meisner GK and the way we've stepped up and handled, uh, handled everything on our end. So I'm, I'm extremely proud of our team and um, how we were able to handle this situation because and, and the, the owners, uh, our clients, sometimes they're, they're confused, they're scared, our tenants are, are confused and, and, and don't know what, what's happening. So there's a lot of confusion, a lot of anxiety there. Uh, and just the, the way our team has handled it has been, it's been nothing short of fantastic. Um, so kudos to the whole team at Meisner GK. Thank you so much for everything all you guys are doing. Um, so industrial has been uh, Amazing, you know, all, all the tenants that, that I've seen um, ha, have been able to sustain and, and thrive and sometimes pivot their business model uh, to be successful. So, so that's great. But one of the things that I've seen specifically in, in San Diego is uh, necessity begets innovation and people have to be, people have to be creative and they are. And as far as the outdoor dining and moving some spaces to the, to the exterior, I think we're going to see more of that. I think in the future we're going to see uh, some some office buildings maybe converted converted to some mixed use and allowing some uh, residential into what's now zoned as as office. So I imagine that's something that's going to be coming down the pike. And uh, also in retail, I, I I haven't seen much talk of this, but it's something that I think might be a, a good idea of where the industry might go is a blending. Of uh, of some of the industrial and some of the retail, where let me understand what an example of that looks like a blending of the industrial and retail. Sure. Well, well, let's look at two different two different sides of that. Okay, let's say uh, an industrial space that is it's large and it's and it's open and you can have uh, plenty of space. So uh, like a brewery or a coffee shop where. So now, now industrial is looked at retail, and maybe maybe you get some rent increases there, and you can uh, that that's an option, and it's something that I've seen in San Diego. But also, when you have these big big boxes that that are going out or that aren't operating in a retail space, that are just as good as long as they have the access as uh, as last mile distribution, maybe you start repurposing some of that space into more of an industrial distribution type center. Okay. So I think, I think there's going to be a lot of creativity needed here. And, uh, and I think there's going to be things that come out of this time that, uh, that are going to be sustainable that maybe prior to this, we didn't think were even options. 
Right. Do you see anything that's being accelerated that may have been, for example, in education, there was a, you know, a movement towards online education. Uh, a lot of universities popped up that were online. And now everybody is having, you know, to be forced to at least be hybrid, if not, you know, have a, a, a pure online you know, uh, environment because of COVID-19. Do you see any adoptions like that within the, the retail industrial space, manufacturing, warehousing, anything like that that's forcing some uh, innovation? Uh, well, yeah, that, that's an interesting point. And, it's, uh, and I, I think it's definitely appropriate to, to juxtapose those two. I think some of the, and going back to the, the flexibility and, and some of the industrial changing is that now that every, everybody has, you know, a smartphone and, and you, can, you can find your way there, that you don't necessarily need to have your space on a main thoroughway to, to bring customers to your, to your establishment. So going back to the, the industrial being utilized as retail when it whatever possible is that you can have something that's a little off the beaten path because um, if you have a good product and people word of mouth, people can, uh, can find it. So in that way, people that already have an online presence already have a leg up and they've been, they've been already um, uh, set up for this. And, and you know what, to, to that point, something that we've done as a company at Meisner GK is that we are, are essentially paperless. And we were able to pivot. So when everybody, when we weren't allowed to come into the office, when everything was shut down, uh, it was an easier transition for us to to have people work from home and get as long as their internet was was set up at home and they had the high speed internet um, and they had their computer and everything else that they needed to set up. And our and our leadership also, we, we supplied everybody with whatever we needed. So we were able to make that uh, pivot uh, effectively. Excellent. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I think people that already are have an online presence and have already established, um, you know, delivery methods and and things of that nature. I think they're going to have a, a leg up here uh, than other people that that are that are going to have to catch up. Good. Well, this has gone a lot longer than I anticipated, but I like it. I'm happy and I'm here for it. Um, so how do people get in contact with you, uh, or get in contact with your company if they're interested in potentially interfacing with you? Could you tell us how to engage them with you? And then you can put them in contact with your company, obviously. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and Jonathan, thank you so much for, for having me and for, for having this space. Um, the Black Commercial Real Estate Network has, has been, have been very, uh, special for me. Uh, the calls that we have and making connections uh, people such as yourself and and Dareth Jarvis and, and you know, all the people that are on that Black Commercial Real Estate Network, it's been nothing short of magic. Um, so thank you for everybody for for supporting that and being a part of that. You can get in contact with me directly if you want to go to LinkedIn. Just search my name. It's Dustin Sutton. Uh, my company's name is Meisner JK, which is a uh, you know German and French. It's not the easiest thing to spell, but find me and we'll get you plugged into the company. So just. Uh, <laughs> Uh, maybe if there's show notes or something, we can put a link to the company and, yeah. and also my LinkedIn profile as well. But again, Jonathan, thank you so much for having me. Um, this, these conversations are so important and I look forward to, to continuing our relationship. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dustin.